Hello, sons, and hello, brothers. It's time again for stuff I want to say, mostly to men. We are in a series of podcasts here, as we often are. In this series, if you've been listening, you know, is on building better relationships. In particular, what's a man to know? What skills is a man to develop and what qualities does a man have, needs to have? And what truths does a man need to learn in order to have strong relationships or contribute to strong relationships in his life with his wife, with his children, with his grandchildren, with his, with his peers, the people in his church. And we talked about the importance of loving well, and then we talked about the power of honor, and then we had two sessions on seeking forgiveness. Hope you're all caught up on the importance of, of humbling yourself and seeking forgiveness and and. And, and developing that skill, that muscle memory of humility and seeking forgiveness. Now, people are going to sin against you, gentlemen. They're going to actually sin against you pretty regularly. What you do and you're sinned against is one of the most important things about you. And everybody gets sinned against. It's part of living in a broken, fallen world. Remember what we said. There's the sin against us. There's the sin uh around us and there's the sin within us the sin around us is the fallen world the sin against us other people who injure or hurt us and the sin within us is our own sin and brokenness is how we're affected by sin around us against us within us and dealing with sin is one of the most important things a man can do a human being can do and because injuries are going to come and and the most powerful thing to understand when injuries come is though they came from sinful human beings, they had to pass through, God had to allow them. They had to pass through the fingers of God's providence before they reached you. And godly men of old understood this. Joseph, for instance, obviously sinned against by his own brothers in an egregious way. Comes to the end of his life, toward the end of Genesis in the last chapter, and famously says in Genesis 50, 20, as for you, he says to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So Joseph had this uh, insight into God's sovereign purposes that even when people do evil, God can bring good out of evil. That's the old bittersweet principle. When something bitter happens, God's doing something sweet and something bitter happened to us one day and bitter sweet farm was the result of it it's been all sweet and no bitter and bethel church has been a part of that all sweet and no bitter anyway that happened in joseph and um joseph understood that bad things come through the fingers of a good god's providential allowance job understood the same thing and said Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked will I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm not going to curse God. David understood that when he was cursed by Shimei. Uh, the king says, what do I have to do with the sons of Zariah? If he's cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? And David says to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone, let him curse. 
For the Lord has told him to. That's how David framed it. The Lord has told him to. It may be the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. David counted on evil passing through the fingers of God's providence, God allowing that, and then God using it for good and even conjectured in his mind about how he would use it for good. Paul understood that, obviously, and famously said in Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. And then immediately he says his purpose is to conform us to the image of his son. So in the sense that any evil can come into our life and be used of God to conform us to the image of his son, it has good in it, it has the potential of good in it. And Jesus himself, if you need you know, the star witness on this, Jesus himself on the cross says, when he's being subject to the cruelest evil ever, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And they didn't understand what they were doing. They didn't understand they were working out God's good purpose. Now, in having framed that, this is, this is why we can afford emotionally to forgive. Because we know that God is doing something good. That's why we can afford uh, to forgive. And mercy is this quality. This is quality. last quality. Seeking forgiveness is humility. Giving forgiveness is mercy. I heard once of a man dying of rabies. And the doctor told him he was going to die. And then the next time the doctor saw him, he was found furiously writing. And, and they said to him, what are you doing? You, you writing down you know, people that you want to tell you love them? He goes, no, I'm listing the names of the people I'm going to bite before I die. <laughs> this was a bitter man. From the biography of poet Heinrich Heine, he wrote this. My nature is the most peaceful in the world. All I ask is a simple cottage, a decent bed, good food, flowers in front of my window, and a few trees outside my door. And then, if God wanted me to make wanted to make me completely happy, he would let me enjoy the spectacle of six or seven of my enemies dangling from those trees. I would forgive them all the wrongs they have done me from the bottom of my heart, for we must forgive our enemies, but not until they are hanged. Unfortunately, that's, that's the human tendency. That's the flesh's reaction when somebody sins against us or when somebody sins against our family or our loved ones. And I've had this experience myself. It's extremely painful, extremely difficult, extremely testing. And people are walking around everywhere with these injuries, that they live with these injuries. And maybe you are today. Maybe, maybe you're going through something right now where you're feeling the bite of injustice a sting of betrayal. Have you ever met somebody whose life is characterized by their hurts, by bitterness, by revenge? They're always playing the part of a victim. Let me ask you, are you plotting to give life or are you plotting a desire to pay back people who hurt you? Are you characterized by hurts or are you characterized by a benevolent mission of love? I want to live and I want to die faithful to the mission of Jesus. I don't want to live to get back at those who hurt me. Now, I'm going to read you a series of names here. Um, I think I got six names. Um, 
I want you to think about what do these people have in common if you know these names. Corey Tenboom, Steve Saint, Elizabeth Elliot, Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, Nick Vujasic. Uh, sorry, Nick Vujasic. You ever heard of him? Ever seen him? Uh, Joyce Meyer. <laughs> okay. What did they have in common? I will tell you this. They all suffered great injustice or injury, and they all decided that they would give themselves to the mission of Jesus instead of being characterized by a hurt. Now, I may not agree with all of their, every one of their uh, uh, doctrinal positions or whatever, but the point I'm making is they've been a blessing to tens of thousands, untold thousands of people, but they had suffered a great injustice or a great injury or a repeated series of injustices or injuries or betrayals. But they decided that out of that dark soil of betrayal and of pain, they would give themselves to the mission of Jesus and they would not be characterized by their hurt. They would not let bitterness poison them. So you have to make up your mind when you're hurt and you will be hurt. Will you give yourself to the purposes of God or will you cave into bitterness to revenge, to become a, a resigned to, to being a coming a victim? So I want to talk on this podcast about how to forgive. And think about this. We are, um, you know, we, we want to be able to say to people, we are a merciful family. We're, the, we're, the, we're followers of the one who told Peter that you forgive hundreds and hundreds of times. We are people that have received mercy, and we are people that give mercy, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So I want to talk to you today in this podcast about five things I'm learning about following Jesus and mercy. And it's not easy. And here are some things that I think will help you. Here's the first one. Number one understand when somebody injures you and you're, you're sinned against or when you have a, 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 a you're dealt a bad hand bad things uh, come into your life understand the difference between love forgiveness pardon reconciliation and trust <laughs> let me repeat that understand there's a difference between love forgiveness pardon reconciliation and trust you offer forgiveness but only god can pardon you love, but they have to rebuild trust. Trust has to be earned. Both must participate to reconcile. So you can love and you can offer forgiveness, which isn't fully forgiven until they take it. You can't pardon. God has to pardon. You can't reconcile alone. They have to cooperate with you. And you may love someone and you may forgive them and wisely not trust them. And uh, so it is with... Um, each of us, think about that. You understand and sort out in your heart the difference between love and forgiveness and pardon and reconciliation and trust. In other words, here's a powerful thought. Don't say, I'm not going to be involved in forgiveness because I don't trust the guy. Well, you can forgive him without trusting him. <laughs> you don't, don't say, you know, I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to uh, forgive him because I can't pardon him or they, they, they don't deserve to be pardoned. Well, it's not your job to pardon them. The sin is against God. God has to fully pardon them. You can't do that. You can, And there's a sense in which you can't forgive unless they ask forgiveness, but you can 
have a disposition of forgiveness toward a person. So you're you're saying, here's the forgiveness on the table. All you have to do is pick it up and take it. So that's number one. Uh, understand the difference between love and forgiveness and pardon and reconciliation and trust. Second thing, decide, and this is a powerful idea, decide if you really are going to follow Jesus. Are you a believer? Jesus comes along, he looks you in the eyes, and he calls you by name, and he says, will you follow me and take up your cross? Because you can't follow me without taking up your cross daily. In other words, are you willing to suffer betrayal, injustice, as I did? Jesus taught us to love our enemies, uh, to voluntarily invest in our offenders. This is the Jesus way. He says, where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And so there are really three things if you listen to what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, when it's re- where it's recorded in Luke 6, 27 through 29. Listen carefully. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. That's just shocking language. Love your en- people that betrayed you, hurt your family, sexually violent. God, how? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. It's Luke 6, 27-29, the words of Jesus. How do you love your enemy? Well, when they say something bad about you or to you, you say something good to them or about them. Bless those who curse you. They curse you. They forecast doom and and destruction and damnation upon you. You forecast good to them, God's best to them. And then if that's if they curse you, if they, if they do evil to you, you do good to them. You you come up with simple and creative ways to be kind to do to them. And if they continually abuse you and persecute you and pursue you to persecute you, you put them on your prayer list and you pray for them which is the highest good you can do. Bless the offender by having a genuine desire to see good come to his life. And the best thing that could come to his life is if he repents, gets right with God, admits his sin, God, you ask God, bless him with repentance, with restoration, with honor. Discern character qualities that are lacking uh, from our hearts and ask God to give them these qualities emotionalize and imagine good for them. Literally wish well for them and begin to pray toward that. That's how a Christian, this is, decide if you're going to follow Jesus. Be prepared to do this hundreds and hundreds of times. Remember what it says in Matthew 18, 21, 22, Peter comes to Jesus, says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. 70 times seven. My, that's hundreds and hundreds of times. Don't let hate become your emotional focus. According to the Bible, like the epistle of 1 John, we're only capable of one emotional focus at a time. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. You can either love God or you can hate your brother, but you can't do the same. those two things at the same time. And so understand that that you have to decide, you know, are you going to follow Jesus? So again, number one is understand the difference between love and forgiveness and pardon and reconciliation and trust. 
The second thing is just, you know, make up your mind. I'm a Jesus follower. This is helpful to me. I was terribly betrayed and unjustly treated by a number of different people. Uh, there was an individual, there were a small group, then there was a larger group, and then essentially a very large group of people did not come to my aid, and so I had odd against all of them. And uh, I had to decide, is that going to become my emotional focus? Is that going to characterize my life? Am I going to spend my life complaining or getting back? Or am I going to go to the heart of it and wish God's best for the ones who have sinned against me? And it, come, and it came down to the question, to a, to a more important question. It's, it's, are you going to follow Jesus or are you not going to? Are you going to stop following Jesus now? Prove that you never really were a follower of Jesus. <laughs> so that's the second thing. Um, maybe you heard the story about a fellow who uh, got a knock at the door and somebody was there with a $100 bill one day. And the next day he got it at the same time of the day. Guy comes back again, knocks on the door, hands him a $100 bill. This happened day after day after day for a full month. But then first day of the next month, he walked past and knocked on the door next door and gave him a $100 bill. And the way the story goes, the guy leans out the door and he yells, hey, where's my money? He's so used to getting the money every day. He'd come to demand it and expect it. Um, and, and this is what we sometimes do with God. We expect good and not evil to come into our life, even though he promised if we follow him, we have to take up our cross. So if we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to be injured and we're going to forgive our, our people who uh, sin against us, we're going to love our enemies. Third thing is take mercy seriously. It is nothing less than spiritual warfare. Mercy is spiritual. You're doing spiritual warfare. Remember that Ephesians 4 says, if you don't, if you let if you let the sun go down upon your wrath, you're given a place to the devil with your wife. If you are if you don't take forgiving her seriously. You literally hand the keys to demons to say, come into my home and do what you wish. You, you, give, them, you give them a place, give them a foothold. Um, so it is in Matthew 18, the story that Jesus tells of the unforgiving servant, the jailer tortures. So bitterness is like a dark, dank, dangerous, damp prison where you get tortured every day and you can never, never get out, get, out, get away, get away from that. This is serious. Take mercy seriously. And remember this. Little eyes are watching everything you do. You're training your children by, they're watching how you treat your enemies. They're watching how you talk about your enemies. Um, sort of painful to talk about this because I've had personal experience with this. And I remember at one point, one of my daughters just saying to me, you know, that she's grieved because of an injury that came to all of us and to her and, and to her children and to myself and, and to our family, and and I wrestled with with wanting to be embittered about that, the injustice of it. And she saw that in me, and she she said she she she'd never seen that before. And that was, man, that put me on my knees to to seek God for a tender spirit. Uh, in other words, I need to take we need to take mercy seriously for one reason. It it. It opens up spiritual warfare. It interferes with our relationship with the Lord, our sense of fellowship with the Lord. And it is um, training our children to deal with injuries against them in the wrong way, which will expose them to darkness. And you don't want that. 
Uh, it'll lead to more sin. It'll lead to more frequent sin. It'll lead to more intense sin, more bondage for, for you, for them. This is serious. So again, let me reiterate these, these five things that I'm learning about following Jesus and mercy and how hard it is. Number one is understand the difference between love, forgiveness, pardon, reconciliation, and trust. Second, number two is decide if you're really going to follow Jesus. Frame it like that. Third, take it seriously. Take mercy very seriously. I think I have a way of saying this is that is that um, bitterness is demonic and forgiveness is divine. Think of it like that. Bitterness is demonic. And forgiveness is divine. Now, here's another one. Trust God to judge and to mete out vengeance if that's ever needed. He says plainly in Romans 12 that that's his job. Leave it to the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But it says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all, if possible. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. It is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Bible scholars differ about how they understand this burning coals. Here's how I understand it. I just understand it is love is like this is like the... Um, a nuclear warfare weapon against uh, the devil. In other words, in the ancient world, did you ever watch a movie in the ancient world where they were like breaching the, the walls of the castle and they poured molten lava out on top of the people? It was like the, the oh, and you just suck in your breath. Oh, that's the worst thing. You know, that's like, that's like resorting to nuclear warfare. I think what Paul is saying here, what Jesus taught is pull out the big guns. And that big guns are love. When you love, you overcome evil with good. First Corinthians four, four and five. I'm not, he, you know, Paul. So I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, I do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. You just commit yourself to the Lord and let him take care of that. He has all the details. He has the power, he has the power to do vengeance. And read the Psalms every day. And you see clearly that God will take vengeance on evil doers or show mercy to them. And the final one is see the ones you hurt. I'm sorry. See the ones who hurt you as agents of God. And this brings us full circle back to what we were talking about with Joseph and with Job and with David and with Paul and with Jesus. God is working through your enemies to accomplish his own special purposes in your life. Are you going to have a message when you get to the next town was the, was the question that came to my mind. I remember leaving a ministry one day and, and just having a exceeding painfulness in that and a sense of injustice and and, and But I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to shake the dust off my feet and go to the next town. But when I get to the next town, am I going to have a message? Am I going to tell him, Jesus is worthy, but I haven't been following him? No, I, I have to take a message with me to the next town when I shake the dust off my feet. And Paul, when he did that, he came back through town and strengthened the believers. He didn't renege on his faith. You know, he didn't. 
Um, he didn't lose his message. He, you know, what are you going to say? Follow, follow Jesus, except I'm not doing it right now. Um, I'm only following what I want. When I basically want him to follow me and I want him to endorse my plans. I'm not going to do what he said. Take up your cross, follow me, forgive your enemies, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who use you and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. I'm not doing that. Well, you're not, you don't have a Christian message. You have a Christian life. Gentlemen, this is powerful. It is just powerful. You are God's representative in your home, the head, the leader in this. You're to be the leader in this. You are to lead. You're to be the, the, the first one to put his foot forward and step into the water, step out against the enemy. Maybe you heard the story of General Norman Schwarzkopf. Love this story. And a biography of Schwarzkopf I read years ago. There, were, there was a... Um, a soldier injured on a, on a minefield and somebody needed to go rescue, get this soldier, but it was a minefield. And so there was a great deal of fear, a great deal of danger in going out into this minefield. Who was going to go? Schwarzkopf went out and he picked up the young man and he carried him back. And his leadership was confirmed because he was the first one to step out and put himself in harm's way. And in so doing, he showed his love and he won the confidence of those soldiers. Gentlemen, that's what you, what you want to do. If you're going to follow Jesus, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. You see the ones who hurt you as agents, as in participating in God's work as agents of God. God is working through them to accomplish his special purposes in your life. Are you going to have a message when you get to the next town? Demons are unwitting agents of the work of God. In 1 Corinthians 2.8, it says, None of the rulers of this age, demons, understood this, that Jesus was going to die. If they had, they would have not crucified. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If demons had realized they were just being used as pawns in God's redemptive program, they wouldn't have participated. And then again, remember what Joseph said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many would be kept alive. Joseph saw the purposes of God working through the evil of his brothers. Job saw the purposes of God working through what Satan did against him and what God allowed Satan to do. David saw the purposes of God in Shimei cursing him. Paul saw the purposes of God in all things. And, and when you think about this and you have trouble with it, be, believing that God allows good things to come through evil things, let sweet come through the bitter things. You have trouble, then contemplate the cross of Christ. Go to Calvary, kneel in the dust at the foot of Calvary. And realize that's what Jesus did. J- Jesus was crucified as a cruelest and greatest evil ever. Jesus Christ crucified by men, sinful men, stripped naked, uh, tortured, tried and crucified. What what could be more evil? That's the worst thing that ever happened in the history of the world. And yet Calvary is the best thing that ever happened in the history of the world. And so you have the worst thing and the best thing come into your life on parallel tracks and arriving at the same time. This is what a believer has to recognize. A man, a man is useful for God when he f- f- 
throws himself on the mercy of God, the providence of God, and he trusts that God is at work. There's a young man in my youth group. Many years ago, he might be a grandfather now. He's certainly a father. (laughs) He was in my youth group years ago. And uh, he was, um, his name was Steve. Uh, His dad was a state trooper, Michigan state trooper. Steve had a little brother named Lance. His dad left for work one day on the job. He was shot and killed by a bank robber. He he was fleeing. His dad didn't know that. His life was taken. Steve had to wrestle with bitterness. And he was being, he was being interviewed a number of years later about that bitterness, uh, that, that, struggled to forgive the person that had so sinned against him, taken his father's life. And he, here's what he said in an article that I read. He, he said he has to continually remind himself that bitterness is like weeds growing in the garden of your heart. You have to keep weeding the garden. You can't just weed it one time and it's gone. And when the weeds spring back up, and Steve is a fine Christian man today. And and he works with troubled youth. And and he has a beautiful family. He's solid in his church. And and why is this? Because he tended the garden of his heart and he weeded the bitterness out. And gentlemen, you got to do that. That's why the Bible specifically says in 1 Peter, husbands, don't be bitter against your wives. Because there is a very strong possibility that She's going to hurt you worse than anybody else because she can, even though she's not, even if it's not intentional. And the consequences of bitterness are physical and psychological and spiritual. It's serious. And people have established that. But bitterness can be turned into forgiveness if you, if you obey God and if you do what God says about your bitterness. Understand that suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. The scriptures say that when we suffer, it purifies our motives. 1 Peter 4.1 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Suffering sets our affections on things above. Uh, as, as Paul had written in Colossians 3.2, Set your mind on things above, not on things either. Suffering completes the suffering of Christ for the lost. Uh, Colossians 1.24 says we fill up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. In other words, he suffers and he called us to suffer. It reveals spiritual ineffectiveness. You, you, you're the salt of the earth, but the salt's lost its savor. How shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. In other words, a bitterness... Um, is suffering when we, we suffer, it exposes our spiritual ineffectiveness, and then God also will give us a spirit of glory when we when we suffer faithfully. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests on you. First Peter four fourteen, and Peter's writing about suffering, experience suffering, and writes to prepare the church for suffering. It opens the door for insights from Scripture. Um, we comfort others with the comfort we receive when we are suffering. And for 2 Corinthians 1, 5, and 6. And it demonstrates spiritual convictions to the world. It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ that you not only believe, but also suffer for his sake. And you, when you suffer, Philippians 1, 29, when you suffer for righteousness' sake, the world sees the validity of your faith. 
So again, these are just some of the things um, that, that will help you realize that God brings good through suffering. Now, just before we quit today, let's say that you have an individual that comes to mind who has injured somebody you love or has injured you or injured you and somebody you love or just cost you thousands of dollars in a business transaction or harmed you in a terrible way, harmed somebody that you love. What, what do you do? How do you bless a person like that? Well, you pray, maybe three things that I think are, are helpful. One is pray for their good. Pray for their good. Even if you can't be around them, you shouldn't be around them. In some cases, you can pray for their, their good. And what I mean by that is this. Let's say they're they're wicked. Okay, pray they'll repent and confess their sin and be right with God and, and have the mercy of God. Pray for their good. And then don't speak evil of them. Uh, and, you know, this would be... Um, uh, don't do evil. Don't don't speak evil. Don't don't allow yourself to think evil. Uh, but imagine them kneeling with you at the foot of the cross. Imagine them being with you in heaven, where together all is right and everyone has received mercy, and we eat at the same table and all the burden is lifted. Imagine that. And then, if you can, you know, try to do something creative to to um, give to them, to gift them, to do good to them. Um, because this is what Jesus said. In this way, you are acting as a Jesus follower. Gentlemen, this is how much you bench press doesn't really matter very much or how good you are at manly skills like you know shooting wild animals or things like that. Um, what really matters a lot in life for everybody is if you have this if you practice showing mercy, are you a mercy shower? Do you know how to forgive those who have sinned against you or who are sinning against you? Are you an example to others of a Jesus-following mercy shower? Guys, that's important. And maybe it'd be a good idea for you to stop right now and just pray to God and say, Jesus, let me be Help me to be a sincere and genuine follower of Jesus. Let me give you a little insight, a little manly insight. Here's, a, here's one of the strategies of the enemy, I believe. It's been true in my life and many of the men that I work with. And maybe it's true in your life too. And that is he sets up a little distraction, like a little wildfire to just turn our head over here. And we look at that and we don't, and we don't notice that the enemy is just going to town somewhere else. Let me give you just a little example of that. You know, most of the men that I know have to resist their uh, temptation to 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 lust, uh, to to impure thoughts, and the, and that becomes kind of the placeholder for the thing. You know, that's the thing that we talk about when we talk to the boys in the woods at camp. When we talk about sexual lust, talking about pornography, that's a big thing. It's a thing, uh, it, and it's um. It's kind of in lights. It's kind of in neon lights. It's what you know. here here in my life. That's been something I've had to wrestle with, and and I've had uh, I, I like to tell people. I guess I like to tell people, but I honestly tell people I've known the thrill of victory in that. I've known the agony of defeat in that, and maybe maybe most men have. It's an ongoing slugfest, but it can be 
a little fire over here that distracts us from so many other things that are just like the enemy is flooding in in the in other areas of our life while we're just fixating on um you know trying not to have immoral thoughts or trying to resist looking at immoral pictures and things like that or videos whatever Guys, here's the thing I have noticed in the seasons when I have had unusual obedience to the Lord and victory from the Lord. Um, in those seasons, I've noticed there are other things then that were there that I didn't notice because I was distracted that rise up. And this is one of them that's huge. And, and that is how you handle, you know, when people sin against you, are you characterized by bitterness by a low-grade anger, or God forbid, you know, a robust anger or, or, or irritation? Or are you characterized by tender-hearted mercy? Are you characterized by humility and honor and love and mercy? Think about that, man. These are the manly, these are manly virtues that they're, they're what the theologians call communicable attributes of God. They're attributes of God, but they're communicable to us to some degree. God is love, and we can be loving. God honors people, and we can honor people through God's power. And, 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 and God is merciful, and God, Jesus humbled himself, if you can imagine. Very God, a very God, always was, always will be. Humbled himself, became a man, and then died the death of a common criminal and became a servant. God exalted him. He showed humility. So, guys, pray about these things. And be vigilant as you watch over your life. And, and then also understand this, guys. Anticipate the powerful fruit of this in your life. When, as you grow in these things, the, the God has promised that they will bear fruit in your life. And this fruit will be sweet. And this fruit will be refreshing. So, I don't know. It's a summer day today here on Bittersweet Farm. It's going up toward 90 degrees, and it's not really been very warm this summer up in Michigan, and so it's a beautiful day. The sun is out. It's going to be 90 degrees, and I, out on Bittersweet Farm, it's shady because we have uh, 50 trees uh, on, on the couple acres that we have, big walnut trees, big maple trees, big shady leafy maple trees, and across the road, we have a big, we have a, a, a forest uh, and the sun tracks across the sky there, and, and and it shades the place. And then there's a vast field to our west with a with a kind of a grade, kind of a hill that comes down. So the wind tends to kind of sweep down the hill and across Bittersweet Farm. And so on a summer evening when it's really hot, a lot of other places it's it's often very pleasant. The breeze blows away. You know, any like mosquitoes that would be hovering about a lot of times. And then the, the, the cool, uh, the, the, sh the place has been shaded for the afternoon. And so it's a little cool on the east side of the house where our back porch is. We can sit out there in the cool. And, and lately I've been playing my guitar and my harmonica <laughs> out on the porch. And the other night I was out there and I was just watching. I thought, you know, it's about the time of the year that we should have fireflies and I looked blink blink there were fireflies As a matter of fact what had happened is I'd mowed then I got on my bike for a little spin and I like to kind of drive past my house real slow and look at my mowing job do you do that and I love to see that job accomplished and how neat it looks like a golf course and often we'll say it looks like a golf course and I thought man seems like the fireflies are late this year and as I rode my bike as I kind of coasted past our house on my bike I looked up and there were the blinking fireflies and I want you to imagine 
out on that porch that we're sharing some ice cold watermelon and we're talking that fruit is sweet. Gentlemen, I said, I said all of that to say the fruit of these qualities is very, very sweet. And it's not just for us. It's for those that we love to share, our wives and our children and our grandchildren. And I was, um, you know, and this is like some bonus material. So maybe you've listened enough and you want to cut it out. And I don't, I don't blame you. But my grandfather, Pierpont, my grandma and grandpa Pierpont, my grandma and grandpa Shipley, they both of them were devout Christians that came to Christ and a little bit later in life and then really lived for the Lord. They're very serious Christians. And we didn't live in the same town where my grandparents lived. We just got to visit them occasionally. And the times that we visited were really things that we looked forward to, even though their homes were very humble and simple. We loved we loved being with them. And now that I'm an adult and in my seventh decade of life, can you imagine I'm, I'm 64? I, I still think back on the few weeks that we got to spend on the farm or the few days that we got to be in that little greenhouse on Ott Road. And the, my, the influence of my grandparents' faith was profound, even though it was fairly short. So it is with other things in my life. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, you don't get to maybe live with your grandchildren or see them as often as you want to, or maybe there's some estrangement or distance with a child. And and I'll just say, be encouraged that of character that we're talking about, your love and honor and humility and forgiveness and mercy. This man has a a powerful spiritual influence on people. Be encouraged that you can have a great influence on people. Don't let the evil one discourage you. As you develop these qualities, realize you're, 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 you're moving toward being a patriarch of your family someday. And you are going to influence people that you love and they need that influence. And the fruit of that is sweet. And I, I just strongly recommend that you do what you need to do to cultivate that fruit. The other night I was mowing, and um, I was mowing past a um, little statue in the yard, and the little statue represents, it's the place really where the, the, the human, the physical remains of a little baby that was um, miscarried by our daughter Hannah, a lie, and, and uh, it was a place of sad grief and mourning for Hannah and Dale, and so every time I go by there on the mower and I look at that or sometimes I just go out and I take off my hat and I stand and I pray and I think this little little girl in heaven someday will meet Lakeland Dale and that and it makes me that little spot makes me pray for Hannah and Dale well then back on the back acre uh our daughter Hope married Tim Kolb and they put a cross up and they were married at the foot of the cross. I left the cross up after the wedding. And when I mow past there, Dale put that cross up. And when I mow past that cross, I pray for hope. And then I realized, oh, there are things about our little place that remind me of each of our eight children and our nearly 20 grandchildren and the in-laws and such. And I associate those things with those people and, and use that as a time of prayer. Maybe that's something that you could do. Associate things with the people that you want to pray for and influence. And this thickens the plot, gentlemen. This deepens our motivation to live for God because we are, we will have an influence on others. And the influence that we have on others is going to live way beyond us for good or for evil. 
but we only have a short, short time to do it. We have a few short weeks or a few short days or a few short years to do that. And so this is vital. Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, I pray for all the men who listen to this podcast today, and I thank you for them. And I pray that, Lord, you would use these truths to motivate them, to encourage them, and to challenge them, to enjoy the fruit, uh, to, to cultivate and enjoy the fruit of, of a life that a man has who's devoted himself to these qualities of love and of honor and of humility and of mercy. God, make us men of love and honor and humility and mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.